Welcome to tape number 14 of the series What We Catholics Believe. This tape is about what we Catholics believe about the communion of saints, the community we all belong to. Now saints in this context actually includes you and me and our children, even though we would probably hesitate to describe ourselves or even them as saints. But this is how the Apostles' Creed describes the Church, the body of Christ to which all baptised, believing Christians who are in a state of grace belong. And it's how in the early Church, everybody who had been baptised was referred to. In the Acts, in the Epistles, you'll see messages being sent to all the saints at Corinth, or wherever they're writing to. That meant everyone who belongs to the Church is there at Mass on Sunday. Anyone living anywhere on earth who belongs to the Church, all the holy souls suffering in purgatory, and all the human inhabitants of heaven, make up one close-knit community. And we are very privileged to belong to this community. It's as if when we were baptised, when we received grace, the share of God's life, it automatically admitted us to a worldwide club, and not just worldwide here on earth, but which takes in the next world as well. So we should remember that if we're not isolated, if we're in any kind of trouble, there's an army of fellow members ready to come to our aid if asked. And we should also remember that that works both ways. We are there to help other Catholics, those who are being persecuted in different parts of the world, or in any kind of trouble, and the holy souls who are suffering in purgatory. We use our prayers, our penances, and our sacrifices to help all of them. The little catechism sums all this up very neatly by saying all the members of the church in heaven, on earth, and in purgatory are in communion with each other, being one body in Jesus Christ. So we're joined closely together. And because we're so close, we can't ignore our fellow members. We should pray to Our Lady and the saints in heaven and be ready to ask for their help. And we should also give them the honour which is their due. Remember, this does not take away from the honour we give to God. On the contrary, we are honouring some of his creatures. We're giving him honour. Though it does need to be made clear to young people that we only give the supreme veneration. We only give adoration to God himself. As the late wonderful Father Harden put it before he died, once a person understands that God exists and who he is, there is only one sane response, adoration, prayer, sacrifice and love, which we do all the time, either directly when we're at Mass and at our prayers, or indirectly in all our actions. We also owe him the complete submission of our wills, because he's our creator. St. Paul put it, the same thing very neatly. He said, can the clay tell a potter what to make? 
So we adore only God. But we do offer a lesser worship to Our Lady. Technically it's called Hyperjulia. And to the angels and saints in heaven, a lesser still called Julia. And a kind of worship to each other, which we would call respect, I suppose. Worship is an old word meaning only worthship. Giving someone the honour they are worth, or should be worth. <laughs> For instance, we still talk about his worship, the mayor. Because the post of mayor deserves honour. The marriage service used to say, with my body I thee worship. <clears throat> Married couple worship each other. That means not that they adore each other. They shouldn't. But they do give each other the respect which is their due. Well, that's quite important. So we need to know something about the people we are worshipping so that we can worship them appropriately. Now we've talked a little about Almighty God in this series and also about our Blessed Lady. <clears throat> so this tape will be mainly about the saints. Not forgetting, of course, that Our Lady is the Queen of all the saints. We need to know about them to give them honour, but also because they are there ready to help us. If we know something about them, we can use that help which we all need. The saints realised, even when they were living on earth, they were going to a place where they would still be able to help their friends. When St. Dominic was dying, he said to his fellow monks surrounding his bed, many of whom were weeping, Do not weep, for I shall be more useful to you after my death. I will help you then more effectively than during my life. And St. Therese, in her last conversations, said, I want to spend my heaven doing good on earth. And of course, that is exactly what she's doing. At the moment, it seems very evident. So many people are reading her books that have been translated into so many languages. Her relics are taken to various countries on a worldwide trip. And they are bringing people back to the church. In Ireland and in Australia, we had crowds at Mass, at Exposition, and crowds at Confession when St. Teresa's relics were brought to the church. So she's doing good on earth. Now she's in heaven. Now, how do people become saints? Well, to start with, they begin like everybody else. Nobody is programmed to be a saint from the time they're born. They're all born like us. And that means damaged by original sin. Even when they've been baptised, God's grace is in their soul, the tendency to sin is still there, just as it is with any of us. So it is with the saints. But the Holy Spirit, and he is the one who makes people saints, as well as protecting the truth in the church, he offers all of us, without exception, the means of holiness. He distributes special graces among the faithful. And those who respond fully to his graces become saints. But that's not easy. No one's going to tell you that being a saint is an easy life. And when you read the lives of them, you'll see it's not easy. And you understand why some of us have quite a battle 
it's in anywhere near there. The graces the Holy Spirit distributes vary. They're not all identical. So the saints vary. There are all kinds of saints, living at all different times. And it's a good thing to let your children see the great variety of saints. Then they can choose the saints that appeal to them, they want to find out more about. And don't forget, start at the beginning, include people from the Old Testament, like Moses and the prophets, who will be in heaven and therefore are saints. Then, of course, at the time of our Lord, there were many saints. St. Joseph, his foster father, great saint. St. Elizabeth, his aunt, St. Anne, his grandmother, all the apostles, except for Judas, of course, and the early martyrs, like St. Stephen, the young man who was so fired when he heard the teachings of the church, when he heard the apostles preaching. But not only did he join the church, but he went out preaching about it too. He even went into the synagogue and started telling the Jews about Jesus and how they should worship him. Now, obviously, they didn't receive that very well. <clears throat> and they asked him to be quiet. When he refused to be quiet, went on saying, it. No, it's important, you've got to listen. They dragged him outside the town and they stoned him to death. And the young man who minded the garments of the people who were throwing the stones was called Saul who became the great St. Paul, of course, later. Another very interesting saint to tell your children about. Then we get the early martyrs in the church, the ones we know about. There are many we don't know about, of course. And some of them were very young. St. Agnes, for instance, martyred in Rome. Must have been about 12 or 13. But she understood very well about the church. She understood about our Lord. She realised she was going to be true to him. She had to die. And St. Tarsisius, a boy saint, who was also martyred, who was carrying our blessed Lord from the catacombs, where he'd been to Mass, to the Colosseum, because there were martyrs waiting there who were going to be dragged out into the arena the next day to be attacked by wild animals. And he had volunteered, knowing the danger, to take them the Blessed Sacrament, to give them courage and fortitude before their death. And he said to the priest, I should probably manage to get away with it, because I'm only a boy, and because the soldiers there, they see me around a lot, they know me. So he was entrusted with the Blessed Sacrament, and sadly, before he got to the Colosseum, he was met by some of his friends who were not Christian. And who said, oh, Tarsisius, come and play with us. Now, normally he'd have run off and played with them. But of course he couldn't. He said, no, just a minute, I've got, I'm on an errand. I'll be back, I won't be long. And that made them curious. What's that you're carrying, they were saying. And when he wouldn't show them, they began to attack him. He was knocked to the floor, he hit his head, and he died. Defending our blessed Lord. And again, he was only a boy. Uh, there are all types of saints. Rich, poor, clever, simple, quiet, talkative. It's like every personality you can think of. <clears throat> and that's why everyone can find <clears throat> a saint who suits them that they respond to. St. Francis of Assisi, for instance, who came from a wealthy family. His father was a merchant. But who gave everything up 
for love of our Lord and to live with the very poorest who died possessing nothing and happy to possess nothing. St. Gerard and St. Eta, a lay brother and a lay sister, humbly working in their convents, loving God, loving their neighbour, and becoming saints, doing simple everyday things. St. Benedict Labre, who had no home, patron saint for the homeless, I suppose, who just travelled the roads, praying, visiting churches and worshipping our Lord, dressed in rags, eating whatever he was given. Then someone quite different, St. Thomas Aquinas, a brilliant scholar with a wonderful mind, who's given us so much light on the teachings of our Lord and the teachings of the Church. And a contrast to him again, little Bernadette, who Our Lady appeared to at Lourdes, who was such a quiet, simple little girl that her teachers even wondered whether she'd be ready to make her first Holy Communion. In those days, before the time of Pope St. Pius X, children didn't go to communion until they were 12 or 14. They weren't considered sensible enough. But Bernadette was even questioned about that because she was quiet in class, she'd missed a lot of school because of ill health. And her teacher thought, I wonder if she should wait another year. But she did change her mind. One day she asked the children, tell me something about God. And the whole class just sat there, because that's a difficult question. But Bernadette answered up. And Bernadette said, God is love. And the teacher thought, oh, that's a very good answer. And I've not actually said that. She's worked that out by herself. And she decided then that Bernadette did understand. And of course she allowed her to make her first Holy Communion. And Our Lady chose her when she appeared at Lourdes. And Bernadette always showed great understanding for all her simplicity. And someone else quite different, great St. Teresa of Avila, who was a very lively and talkative person. I know she became a Carmelite, but she was apparently very good company and full of fun. And when she first became a Carmelite, the Carmelite order had not been reformed. The rules were kept very slackly. So there were people in the parlour nearly every day. And she would joke and laugh and go down there and they would enjoy themselves. It was only when her little niece, Teresina, joined. And St. Teresa said to her one day, Are you happy with us? And Teresina said, Oh yes, everyone's very kind, I'm happy. But, well go on then, she said, what's the matter, tell me. Well, she said, I thought when I joined that we would spend more time with our Lord talking to him, praying to him. In fact, I thought we'd spend nearly all the time with him. And then St. Teresa realised, of course, that's what they should be doing. And she began to reform the order. And it didn't make her popular with her fellow nuns. But with the Lord's help, she succeeded in reforming both the nuns and the priests. And of course the Carmelites are reformed now. So any type can be a saint. There isn't a special type for a saint, anybody who decides, it's a free will, that they will cooperate with the graces, they will sacrifice their own comfort, choice, and serve God. Saints have worked as priests, many of them as priests, popes, kings, soldiers, martyrs, devoted their lives to spreading the faith, monks, there must be many monks who are saints who we don't even know about, 
who haven't been formally canonized, but who lived very saintly lives. And of course missionaries, again, a very great calling. All these roles you can find saints for, to tell your children about. The Cure d'Ars must be one of the holiest priest saints that we have, the patron saint of priests. But a very simple man. Again, he had a problem with his studies. He had a lot of Latin to learn in those days. He found it very difficult. The bishop thought long and hard about ordaining him. In the end, he did ordain him, but he sent him to a little tiny village called Ars, remote, miles from anywhere, and thought, well, he won't do any harm there anyway. And of course, the Cure d'Ars did wonderful good, because although he was simple, he was very holy. He loved his people. He was determined they were all going to be saints, all going to get to heaven. And he worked so hard for that. He heard confessions. He preached. He converted them all. They became very holy. And of course the fame spread. People came from all over France and even from our countries to visit him, to go to confession, to be helped. And he has now been canonized. And to say many popes were saints, especially early popes, because it was a very dangerous position and they were often martyred. Um, at the beginning of the uh, 19th century, at the beginning of the 20th century, we had Pope St. Pius X, who had a very difficult task because the church was in so much trouble with all the modernism that was spreading. And he recognized this as the most deadly disease that could attack the church because it wasn't people from outside attacking this was inside the church. People in seminaries, people in schools, people in parishes, teaching error and claiming it was the truth. And he works long and hard and very bravely to silence the error and to correct it and to have only the truth taught. As always, speaking the truth, you get very unpopular, but he became a great saint. St. Louis, the King of France, is an example of a king. There's also St. Edmund, King of England. A soldier, uh, one that leaps to mind, is St. Ignatius of Loyola, great Spanish saint, who lived um, at the beginning of his life as a soldier, fighting battles, and enjoying fighting battles, I think, until he was very severely wounded in his leg. And then, of course, he had to be taken to hospital, run by nuns, as all the hospitals were in those days, and his treatment took a long time. His leg had been very badly hurt. And part of the treatment was that he had to lie very still, try not to move. And he got terribly bored. So one of the nuns looking after him said, I'll bring you a book to read and help pass the time. Oh, good, he said, I would like that. So she went down to the library. Now, books were very precious then. They were all written by hand. Nobody had very many. But there were some books in the convent library. And she brought him up a book of the lives of the saints. When St. Ignatius saw what it was, he was not pleased. He wanted a book about adventure or romance. In fact, the story goes that he threw it across the room. I don't want to read that, he said. Well, she said, I'm afraid there's no alternative. This is a convent. Those are the only kind of books we have. If you don't read that, you read nothing. So he asked for his book back and he did read it. And, of course, he was inspired. He changed his life. When his leg was healed, he came out to work for the Lord. He started an army for Jesus. 
that's what the Jesuits have always been. And of course he made a tremendous impression, uh, difference to the church and became a great saint. The martyrs are all automatically saints. Give up your life to the Lord, you become a saint. Roman martyrs, English martyrs in the 16th century, and the martyrs today. People are dying for the faith around the world today. That's very inspiring. As I say, many monks, I'm sure, St. Benedict particularly comes to mind, and his sister says Scholastica for the nuns, because they um, made a, concocted a rule that is still used today. It is so holy. And the monasteries they started, which went on after their death, of course, spread across Europe and were the most civilizing influence on the Europe of their day, on the world of their day. Mothers like St. Monica, St. Margaret Clitheroe, who was also a martyr, and missionaries like the great Francis Xavier, the Jesuit, who travelled on his own to South India, and who went from village to village preaching and converting, and then went on to Japan and was on his way to China when he died. And the people he taught in South India, the Goans, have still got the faith that he gave them. They're still very good Catholics. And that's what one man did on his own, with the help from God, of course. We get saints of all ages, young ones like little Jacinta, who, um, one of the Fatima seers, who has recently been beatified, is on the way to sainthood. <coughs> And who showed by her questions and her conversation and her way of life particularly how well she understood what Our Lady was teaching us at Fatima and how much she loved Our Lady and Our Lord. But Maria Goretti, who was also quite young, the Italian girl, who in her teens was attacked by a neighbour. He wanted to rape her and she defended herself even though it meant dying. And she was taken to hospital, fatally wounded. And almost her last words were that she forgave her attacker. And then, of course, saints like St. Augustine, who led a very dissolute life for a long time. But when he did convert, converted completely and became a very great saint. So we have all kinds they all started like us, though, but they used the graces that God gave them. They exercised their free wills, and they became saints in the situation they found themselves in. And it's no good saying to yourself or to say to God, or oh, if I was a monk, I'd be very good, I'd be really holy. Or if I was a missionary, I'm sure I'd be a great saint. God has put you in a particular place in life. That's where you're going to find your sanctity. That's how you're going to be holy where you are now. <clears throat> the saints, of course, were unselfish. It goes without saying that they weren't thinking of themselves. They think either of God or other people. In fact, this is the great saints St. John the Baptist, one of the greatest saints probably, said, I must decrease, he must increase. He was talking about our blessed Lord with his teaching. His, he and his disciples must become less important our Lord was the one he was preparing for. Well, we must decrease our self-love, our self-importance. We must fight it so that our Lord can increase in our souls. And that is not easy. 
You have to do it every day. You don't do it once and for all. The saints have all that kind of quality in common. They're all humble. God's grace cannot work on a proud heart. And that's not automatic. That's learned slowly and painfully and frequently. Relearned. But it's important. They're all single-minded. Nothing is more important than God. They're all very happy. Joyful people, even though they're often suffering, and they do suffer. If you think about it, our Lord doesn't save you from suffering if he wants you to be a saint. He suffered himself. His beloved mother had a sword pierce her heart, suffered terribly, and every saint has suffered. It is a veil of tears. There's a story of St. Teresa of Avila, who was on her way to visit a convent, when she was quite old and not well, crossing a river, which wasn't easy because it wasn't a proper bridge, it was one of these rope bridges, when it broke and she found herself in the icy water. And she rather understandably remonstrated almost with the Lord because she had that kind of relationship with him. She said, Lord, I'm doing your work and this is what happens to me. I find myself in this icy water doesn't help and he said apparently she felt in her heart that he said to her but that's how I treat my friends and she's believed to have responded well Lord I'm not surprised you don't have that many but the the saints do suffer in different ways but they don't resent the suffering St. Teresa of Lisieux was always looking for suffering in fact she used to say one problem with going to heaven there'll be no more suffering She was eager for it because it helped bring souls to God. She knew that her suffering would help a sinner somewhere. And therefore, she was pleased to undergo it. Saints are always prayerful, goes without saying. And their love of God and their love of their neighbour is a shining example to all of us. Use anything you know about the saints as examples. Teach the children so that they can learn from these examples. Stories like the story about St. Martin... Martin of Tours, who was a Roman soldier in the early days of the church, a Roman officer. And one day when he was riding his horse along the street, the roads of Gaul, which is what they called uh, called, uh, France in those days, he saw a beggar sitting by the side of the road, shivering. It was a bitterly cold day and he had only rags on him. And St. Martin stopped, took off his beautiful red woolen cloak that all the Roman officers were issued with if they were living in the northern climes and cut it in half with his sword and gave the beggar half his cloak and then he rode on. And that night when he was asleep in a dream our Lord came to him (coughs) wearing half his cloak and thanked him. A story like that makes them think. Um, they make the church holy the Holy Spirit makes the church holy with his holy teaching which he preserves but also by making all these holy saints each one is quite exceptional and of course there are myriads of them I always think Mother Teresa who's not been canonised I know but I'm sure will be did the church a tremendous lot of good just by the sanctity of her life which was so obvious to everyone who met her or even heard of her it was a wonderful example Catholics and non-Catholics alike. We honour them by prayer, by knowing about them and teaching others about them. And we keep their feasts. 
I think it's very nice to keep saints' feasts. And don't forget the feast of all saints, November the 1st. That's the one for all the people in heaven who have not been formally canonised, but they're all saints if they've got to heaven, even if they had to go to purgatory first. And that's the one that our grandparents, great-grandparents, I hope, are enjoying in heaven, especially on the 1st of November. Help your children choose patrons to pray to and to follow. And remember that those who don't die as saints, and a lot of us probably don't, but good people who don't deserve to go to hell, go to purgatory. And we still belong to the body of Christ when we're in purgatory. This may be most of us. So we should remember about the people in purgatory and help them with our prayers and our sacrifices while we can here on earth. As it says in the Old Testament even, it's a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead that they may be loosed from their sins. And from the early days of the church, we've always prayed for the dead, remembered them at Mass, and remembered them in our prayers. If you go to the catacombs, which were used as cemeteries, people were buried there, you will see carved out in the stone, pray for the soul of, and the name of the person who's buried. And we still say it. If somebody dies, we pray for their soul. The Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us that our prayers help them and also make their intercession for us more effective. So we're helping ourselves at the same time. The Church has very wisely put a little prayer for the Holy Souls on the end of the Grace After Meals. We give thee thanks, Almighty God, for these and for all thy benefits, who live us and reign us, world without end. Amen. May the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God Rest in peace. Amen. That means if we say the grace as we should, we remember the holy souls every meal we have. Always remember when someone you know dies. In a way you almost owe it to someone, especially a close friend or a close relative, and pray for them. Even if you think they were very good, don't assume they're in heaven. If they're not, they're going to be very disappointed you aren't helping them. And if they are, your prayers will not be wasted. No prayer is ever wasted. Our prayers are very precious to God. He wouldn't waste them. So if you're praying for someone who isn't in purgatory, it will go to help somebody who's still there and who needs some prayers perhaps, isn't being helped. This is very important. St. Monica, who actually was a saint, when she was dying, she said to her son, St. Augustine, who by then was a very holy priest, you can put this body anywhere. But please, remember me at the Lord's altar, wherever you are. She was asking him to remember her at Mass. To sum up then, Christ died for all of us. So what each one of us does or suffers for Christ benefits all of us. Now we're going to do something to help all the people in the church here on earth and in purgatory. We're going to say one decade of the rosary. If we say it well, we help ourselves, of course, but we help every other member of Christ's body. We've got to the third glorious mystery, the descent of the Holy Spirit on Our Lady and the Apostles and some of the disciples in the upper room on Pentecost Sunday. Fits in very well with this tape because this was the beginning of the church, the communion of saints we've been talking about.
You remember after the ascension, they walked back to the upper room and they started praying for the paraclete they'd been promised to come. A lady was with them and some of her friends and some of the other disciples were there. It must have been a great help and a great comfort to have Our Lady with them. They didn't know how long they were going to have to pray. Our blessed Lord hadn't given them a time, just that he would send the paraclete. But actually they prayed for nine days. A novena. Why, when we want something special, we pray for nine days. And on the morning of the tenth day, the Holy Spirit came as a roaring wind, filling the house, and then as fire, parting to tongues and coming into each person in the room, inspiring them, firing them to talk about the faith, and coming as tongues to remind them that's what we're to do. We're to keep talking about it to each other, to people who are not Catholics, every opportunity we get. And of course the difference it made was very dramatic, so Peter immediately walked over to the window and started preaching the first sermon. People listening hearing what they thought was their own language, although they came from different countries, flocked to be baptised. 3,000 were baptised that day. Because they realised this was something special. One man speaking, and the Greek hearing it in Greek, the Syrians in Syrian, the Romans in Roman, each hearing a different language, a miracle. And from then on, the church just spread. The apostles didn't stay locked in the upper room after that. They went out and about in Jerusalem preaching. They were persecuted. And when people started getting killed, then they left Jerusalem, except St. James stayed there. They started to different towns. They didn't go together. They all separated. And wherever they went, they preached. And that's how the church grew and became gradually worldwide. So that's what we think about while we're saying the Our Father, ten Hail Marys, and glory be at this mystery. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, 
and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, and save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much for listening to this tape with me. I hope you'll be able to join me for the next one, which is about the four last things, death, judgment, hell, and heaven. May God bless you all.